This episode contains discussions of transphobia and dysphoria that may be triggering for some people. If these discussions bother you, feel free to skip this episode. We promise we'll be back next time with some good, lighthearted fun. Thanks for listening! to Netflix and Kill, the podcast dedicated to reviewing and documenting all the horror films on Netflix. Um, well, I mean, that's how we started, I guess. We kind of haven't done that in a while. Yeah, we've kind of been avoiding Netflix for some reason, probably because we wanted to talk about other movies that aren't on Netflix. Yeah, so just bear with us. I'm sure we'll be back to our our Netflix roots pretty soon. But, Mm -hmm. um, so this month, June, is... Pride Month, so we are doing uh, a series of a Pride movies. specials. Yeah, just a couple movies that um, are horror films that include LGBT elements of some sort. Mm-hmm. So we talked about Jennifer's Body earlier. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to it. And today we are talking about Sleepaway Camp, which... Now, Marty, you found this on a list, right? Of. Yeah, I looked up a list of LGBT horror movies just to see what came up, and most of it was, like, stuff that's kind of coded, and but not really all that explicit, so we kind of wanted to do more stuff that has, like, explicit themes, and uh, the couple that I ended up on were, like, Jennifer's Body, um, is like, Blood and Roses, and uh, Sleepaway Camp. And so we decided to do Jennifer's Body and then Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, because I had never seen this movie, and I know that it's a horror classic. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of curious about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we watched this the other night, and... Mm-hmm. It, was, um, it was my first time watching it as well. Um, I knew the twist and stuff already, just because, like, I, you know, looked it up just to make sure it wasn't something that was going to terrify me, like, to no end or give me, you know bad thoughts or anything. Yeah. Just because sometimes with horror, you run that risk, especially if you're mentally ill or, you know, dysphoric. Yeah. I went in, I went in cold, but yeah, I mean, uh, there wasn't anything that was really, like, too surprising. Um, I guess before we get into it, should we talk a little bit about the premise of the film? Yeah. Um, so it's these, it's about these two cousins. Uh, one of them is Angela and the other one I don't remember his name. I'll have to look it up. I don't remember his name either. Let me look it up. But yeah, these cousins um, go to a summer camp, and all of the kids are very, very mean to Angela, and just relentlessly pick on her, and then everyone who's mean to her ends up getting murdered. And um, she has a little bit of a tragic past, where she lost her dad and brother in a boating accident. So she's kind of, like, got some trauma related to the water and the lake and stuff like that. Okay, her cousin's name is Ricky. Ricky. Okay, that's what I thought, but I couldn't remember. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, like, pretty straightforward slasher kind of film. Yeah. Uh, we talked 
a little bit about how it's, like, super similar to Friday 13th. Yeah. Except, I guess in the sense, like, the characters are younger. Mm -hmm. Like, instead of being punished for sex, it's like they're punished for, like, much more childlike things. Sort of. Although there are... I mean, there at the very the very first victim is a pedophile, so, like, that, yeah. that was a point in our favor for the movie. Just because, yeah. like, it, it just got into it real fast. Like, hey, this dude is, like, a pedophile and he works at the camp. And then he dies because he, uh tried to, like, molest Angela. Yeah. So I guess, like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, Friday 13th is more geared toward, like, it's so much about sex and more geared towards teenagers. And I would say this film, like, not that it's aimed at younger audience, but, like, I think it would be a film that you could show a younger audience if you're trying to introduce them to slasher films. I guess. Like, I, just because I guess the themes are, like, more relatable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty clearly meant for adults, but, like, yeah. I think, like... It's it's about if kids. I had a Yeah, like, if I had a preteen, or, like, you know, someone who was old enough to watch horror films, but, like, I wouldn't necessarily want to show them Friday 13th yet, I would probably show them this, depending on how much yeah. they can handle, because it is a really gory film. Mm-hmm, and it, it centers around, like, teen bullying and stuff, and, like, you know, why this kind of stuff comes back to bite you. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I kind of agree, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't normally show, like, kids horror movies just because I, I don't know how it's going to affect kids. Yeah. When so. I say kids, I do mean, like, like 12, 13. 13, yeah, and older, like, yeah, yeah not little bitty kids. The, the one thing about this movie is, like, it might harbor some bad thoughts about people who identify as genders other than, like, the ones they were given at birth. Yeah, well, and that, yeah, it might raise some confusing questions. Yeah. Um... But I guess that's not anything that films like Silence of the Lambs or Psycho haven't also dealt with. Yeah. Because those have some, I don't know, interesting takes on this. Yeah, so let's just get into the twist. Because this right. is what people talk about when they talk about yeah. the film. Yeah, so this, this, oh, the twist is like... Spoilers, by the way. But yeah, spoilers and kind of like triggers for like dysphoria and uh, uh, tropes of like, I guess, trans people being kind of predatory. I mean, not really, but, like, she, and, okay, so, the twist is that Angela is a murderer, and also, uh, she was raised as a girl, um, because her mom dressed her that way, but, it like. It was her aunt. So, oh, like, yeah, her what, aunt. after her family died in the boating accident, like, the whole time you think she's a little girl, but actually, at the end, you find out she's the brother, but the aunt really wanted a daughter, because they already had a son, and so, like, they made her live as a girl. Yeah, which was kind of iffy, if, you know, in my eyes, but, like, at the same time, up until the twist, you can tell, like, that Angela is really dysphoric about her body and, like, really afraid of the water, not only because, like, her parents died in a boating accident, but also because, like, she, you know, doesn't want to show off her body because she's self-conscious about the way people will think about her. You know, if they find out that, like, oh, she's actually a boy. Yeah, well, let's get into this, too, because, like, 
These are some questions that I asked you after we watched the film. So, first of all, do we think that Angela is a transgender character? Because from a plot perspective, like, it's more... We never really find out if she actually identifies and enjoys identifying as a girl, or if it's all just her aunt forcing her into it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you could read it either way. Just, like, the one flashback scene where it's, like... The aunt is talking to Angela about, like, when she had come home with her, and she looked really, like, you know, dejected and upset about the fact that her aunt was calling her Angela and stuff, but at the same time, I don't know, because, you know, it's never really all that explicit. You never hear... Angela barely talks in the movie at all, Mm -hmm. so, like... You never know what she's thinking about or anything. So, yeah, it, it, it's kind of confusing if, you know, it's a trans narrative or if it's a parental abuse narrative. Yeah, I I kind of lean more towards the abuse side of things, but I don't know. I mean, you can't really say for sure, because again, like, we never really know how Angela feels about it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, anytime any of the girls are talking to Angela, it's very, like, she never talks, she doesn't really acknowledge that they're there except just to stare at them because, like, they, they're they very mean to her and so she just doesn't say anything back. There's, like, this one boy who is, like, really nice to her and, like, really likes her and so they start talking. That's, like, the only time she ever talks is to this boy. And... She actually is, like, really into him, and I wonder if that's, like, because she's comfortable as a girl, or if it's because she's more comfortable as a gay man, Yeah. or... It's a very confusing narrative because you never get the side of the story of Angela. It's always from an outside perspective. Yeah. So I guess that brings me to another question, then. Which is something I kind of wondered after we finished this film is, um, is this a queer film? Because when I first, when we first finished it, I was like, well, you know, again, like my first instinct was like, well, this character is not trans, um, because she didn't choose this. And so I was like, why is this considered a queer film? You know, but then like, after I thought about it some more, I thought about what you brought up. I was like, well, if she's interested in this boy, then like, you know, if she's interested in the boy as a girl, then, like, okay, she's trans. And if she's interested in the boy as a boy, then she's gay. So, like, I guess that alone makes it a queer film. But, like... Yeah. I I really do think she kind of does enjoy being a girl to an extent. Because, like, she does kind of assume the role of a girl in a hetero relationship around him. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't ever, like, try to act manly in front of him ever, except for the one time when she's trying to, like, affirm her femininity, I guess, and she gets really mad at him and starts screaming at him, but, like, I think that has more to do with the fact that, like, she's not being affirmed as herself, because, Mm -hmm. like, all these girls have told her, oh, you're not, you're not like us, because you're not this and this and this, and... So she's, like, trying really hard to, like, affirm herself as a girl, I think. Yeah. So I think it's kind of a trans narrative, but at the same time, like, 
it's really confusing because the the aunt basically made her mm-hmm. it's really confusing it is really confusing and and yeah so i agree with you i think that the fact that it's a narrative about an outsider makes it it makes it fit in with lgbt films or mm-hmm. lgbt themes at least yeah so i i think it's the theme of being an outsider is something that is very relevant to queer people and mm-hmm. So I think that alone, like, because that is the main theme of this film, I think that mm-hmm. alone, like, pushes it more towards that category. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if, you know, like, the director, I don't know anything about him, but I assume he's a straight man. Probably. Probably <laughs> a cis man. I know he's a man. Um, so that, like, because it's not from the LGBT's perspective, mm-hmm. um, then I, I would probably say that, like, this, you know, those themes of being an outsider, like, yeah, probably aren't coming from a queer lens, like, yeah. intentionally, but it can still be read unintentionally. So, like, for example, like, when you think about um, Clive Barker films, like Nightbreed, mm-hmm. that film reads very, very queer because Clive Barker is a gay man, and mm-hmm. so some of the, um, the subtext of the film is... Definitely it, about feeling outcasted because Nightbreed, of sexuality. Nightbreed reminds me a lot of Lost Boys in that this character gets turned into one of the monsters, and then he decides... So, this is where it deviates from the Lost Boys, where he actually decides to side with the monsters because the human world is actually, like, really shitty towards them, and actually David Cronenberg is playing, a like, a serial monster murderer and is, like, trying to murder them all. And it's, like, it's really good. Like, as a, a gay-slash-queer narrative, like, it it's a really kind of good to read into that as a subtext because, like, the main character actually sides with, you know, what has made him, quote-unquote, a monster. Yeah. Um, but in the case of Sleepaway Camp, I think, you know, it was made in 1983, so this was, like, at the height of, like, AIDS crisis, kind of, right? Yeah. And, like you know, queer scare and, like, a bunch of other stuff like that. So I really I really think this was, like, kind of a, like, kind of a violent response to that, and I, I'm uncomfortable with it, but at the same time, like, there's, like, probably, I, it's probably not intentional, but there's a lot of stuff that, like, I, as a, as a non-binary trans person, kind of related to while watching it because of the way Angela, like, reacted to a lot of stuff that was happening around her. And, like, if if this hadn't been about, like, her becoming a murderer and, like, how, you know, the way her uh, aunt treated her and stuff, like, to make her into a girl, I feel like it would have been, like, unintentionally one of the, like best kind of trans narratives out there, but it's, once the ending hits, it's like, well, that was bullshit. Yeah, Yeah. that's a, that's very much how I feel about it, actually. So, like, you know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, here we go again with the trope of this person being the villain, um, which is used in a lot of films, like, Psycho and Silence of the Lambs, which, like, again, those are films that I love. And I've talked about this, too. I love the trope of the queer villain, like, mm-hmm. of the gay-coded or trans-coded villain or whatever. I mean, I like it because I like villains, and I think they're cool, and, like, mm-hmm. 
you know, I like embracing the monsters or the bad guys or the outcasts. And I think I'm not alone in that either. I think (laughs) a lot of members of the LGBT community feel that way. I do too. Like, especially with, like, cartoonish villains because they're more, you know, they're a little more innocent in their, you know, villainy. Yeah. And it's kind of weird, but, like, once you get into, like, horror movies and stuff, it gets more iffy and, like, you know, it's not wrong to like them, but at the same time, you gotta, like, really look at it through a critical lens or else, like, you know, you could end up, like, liking them for the wrong reasons, I think. Yeah. Well, because that's the whole thing with slasher films is, like, Mm -hmm. it really plays on our fears in real life, especially in the 80s when Mm -hmm. murder and kidnapping and serial killers were very, very common. Mm Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this was playing on people's fear that, like, oh, this stuff can happen anywhere. Which, you know, maybe is the thing with Sleepaway Camp, right? It's like, oh, I'm sending my kids off to a place that's supposed to be safe, and then they're getting murdered, so mm-hmm. it's not, and that's supposed to be the fear of it. But uh, but then that makes it a little bit troublesome that you have this trope of, like, oh, it's a, you know, a boy in disguise as a girl, and he's murdering mm-hmm. people, and, like, that's such a stereotype that people have about trans people, which just really isn't true. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the whole bathroom debate, and people are like, oh, what if a man just dresses in drag so he can get in and peep on women? And it's like, when that has never even happened. Like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it, like, psychologically and, literally, you know, historically, like, trans people are very peaceful and nonviolent. I mean, unless they are being attacked. Yeah, because, like, you know... If anything, like, most of them are victims of violence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you try to keep to yourself and stay out of trouble. And, like, so that is a little bit bothersome that, like, the whole twist of the film is, like... You know, and perhaps if they had maybe revealed this sooner, it wouldn't have been as bad. But, like, the fact that, like, this is the crowning moment, right? Like, the very last twist, and you're supposed to... This is, like, the final horror, and it's just that, oh... She has a dick. Like, yeah. Like, it's like, that is a little bit weird. It's, yeah, like it's like, it, that's supposed to be terrifying to you. And it's like, well, you know, I just, I think there's some problems with that. And I think it very much plays on people's paranoias in the 80s about mm-hmm. AIDS and, and all of that. And trans people. Yeah, so, you know, it's not surprising. But I think what you were saying, though, is like, up until that moment it does actually work as a very compelling lens from the point of view of an LGBT person. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think maybe that's why it would have been better if they had revealed this sooner. Because, you know, for most of the film, you really relate to and identify with Angela pretty much up until the end. Because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, all of the people who are murdered, like, they were awful to her. And yeah. so you understand why she would be pushed to that to protect mm-hmm. herself. Um, but I think maybe instead of having this be, like, oh, shocking final twist, if you moved it to earlier in the film, I think it gives you more of a, a reason to identify with her. hmm And understand why she does what she does. And I realize, yeah. like, that, oh, the twist ending is the whole point of it, but, like, come on, you can come up with a better twist ending. Yeah. There, there's lots of other twists. But I think, like, this would have been a way to make this character more sympathetic. hmm I mean, the thing I do like, though, is, like... There is still some sympathy to be had for her. I mean, like, they pretty clearly paint everyone else as the Predators. Yeah, for real. And 
they do almost kind of paint her as a victim. I mean, up until the very end when yeah, she starts... up until the very last scene. When she starts defending herself is when you start seeing the more, like, quote-unquote predatory type stuff with, with Angela. Yeah. But, like, you know, really it's... This character is a victim, and, mm-hmm. like, you know, you have the pedophile camp counselors and these mean bullies who are very violent towards mm-hmm. her. There's, like, one point where, like, she's, you know, fully dressed and sitting off to the side away from the lake because it's, like, swim time and she does not want to swim. And, like, so this girl comes up, starts, like, yelling at her, calling her a bitch, and then picks her up and, like, throws her in the lake. And, like, it's... That's probably one of the most horrifying things to watch, is, like, this person with water trauma and dysphoria being forced into doing something that she doesn't want to do because society wants to play on her fears. Mm -hmm. Like, from the point of view of Angela in that whole scene, like, I was sitting there going, oh my god, what are they doing to her? Yeah, exactly. It's very invasive. In a way that, like, maybe, you know, it's not sexual or whatever, but, like, they're still, you know, forcing her to do something she doesn't want to. Oh, and then there's that part with the boy where he starts kissing her neck and she starts freaking out about it and like pushes him off of her because she doesn't she doesn't know how to handle like that kind of attention and uh later on like he calls her a prude to like some other girl and like so later on she feels like she needs to like prove herself as girl enough for him and I think that's around the end of the movie when they finally mm-hmm. reveal, like, oh, she's a boy, blah, blah, blah. And, like, yeah. yeah. It's sympathetic, but then the very end of it ruins it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I remembered something. So, there's a YouTube channel called Dead Meat, um, and they have, they do, like, kill count videos and stuff, but, uh, the guy that runs the YouTube channel uh, was at Texas Frightmare. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And he did a bunch of, like, interviews with people that were there. And uh, the actress that plays Angela in Sleepaway Camp was actually there. And I think he asked her if Angela would have enjoyed camp if kids weren't so mean. She said, yeah, and she probably would have loved swimming, too. So, like, most of it is literally, from from the actress's point of view anyway, most of it is literally just because kids are mean and she doesn't want to be made fun of for her body. Mm-hmm. That's... Man. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. She's. It's so sympathetic, but then the very end. Ugh. I keep saying that over and over again, but, yeah, like, it, I just. I get caught up on that. I do, too. Because I. I can't. I'm just not really sure how to feel about this film. And I yeah. realize, like, there's probably other things to talk about besides this, but given that we are doing this for Pride Month, like, we. That's why we're yeah. going to talk about the LGBT themes in this, or, you know. Like, either if they're done themes. well or not, or whatever. Yeah. So, I don't know, it's it's just a lot to take in. Yeah. So I guess getting to, like, some wider questions, uh, is this a film you would recommend? And if so, who would you recommend it to? I mean, I guess I would recommend it, only to start up, you know discussions like this about, like, you know, why some of these tropes are so terrible 
and like why some of it's done so well but like then totally drops the ball with the way that the twist ending is handled you know? yeah because it's a really compelling narrative but at the same time it's just so hard to wrap your head around like why they would like kind of just throw in like that one part at the very end mm-hmm. so i think if i would recommend it to someone i i think i would recommend it to like like you said if you if you don't want to like the questions raised would be good to discuss with like kids if they want to watch a horror film um but i would i would recommend this more to like adults i think yeah. especially like adults who are trying to write lgbt narratives mm-hmm. i think cuz like there's a lot of discussion that can be yeah. had from this film about things to do right and things to do wrong yeah. and I would add, too, like, if you're just interested in, in um, the staples of horror as well, I would say this is kind of a cult classic. If you're just yeah. interested in watching cult classics, then, like, yeah, you know, this is a cult classic, so I'd say it's worth watching. But just maybe keep in mind some of these questions, because mm-hmm. I think asking questions like this helps us moving forward. And I think mm-hmm. that asking questions like this is part of the reason why we're in the horror renaissance that we are now. Mm-hmm. So I think it helps us as filmmakers to make better films, and I think it helps us as people to understand ourselves and our responses to mm-hmm. these things better, and to understand, understand our own feelings. And other people as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else, though, we could really talk about now. Regarding this film, there's not very much, really, that I have to say. I would. It's something that I would actually love to revisit in the future mm-hmm. and see if my thoughts about it change any. Just as a note, too, I was reading on IMDb that apparently in the trivia section it said that there is a remake of this movie scheduled. It said it was scheduled to come out in 2018 and 2019, so I don't think that's happening. Yeah. Um, but it would be an interesting movie to remake, I think. Yeah. What if you did remake it from Angela's perspective? Like, even more of Angela's perspective. Yeah. That could be a really... Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting so, way to change and reclaim that story. I feel like if we came back to this film, we if if the remake doesn't happen, then we could do it through one of the sequels, because it's got a couple, yeah. I think. It's got a lot of sequels. Yeah. Um, oh, my other question. So what did you think about this versus Friday 13th? Which one do you like better? Um. Well, it kind of depends. Like, Friday the 13th, I like the ending way better, mm-hmm. but I like... But I like the first half of Sleepaway Camp a lot better. Yeah. Like... I'd agree. Mm-hmm. I think Friday 13th has a better twist. Yeah. But this one has a better whole movie. Um, yeah. Because Friday 13th really is, like, mostly teenagers banging. Yeah. It's mostly boring it's after mostly, a while. It's kids banging and then, like, them dying violently and not knowing who did it. But then you find out that it was this woman who worked at the camp whose son died and she developed... Who died like, because she was because he was bullied. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing, too. It's like, I'm, you know, maybe it's too obvious to compare these two films, but they are super similar. Yeah. Like, about kids being bullied at summer camp. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. It, it's just super, like... To me, it's, like, well, it wasn't... a bit obvious that this took inspiration uh-huh. on Friday the 13th, which is not a bad thing, because, like, it definitely very much did its own thing with it. But... I, from what I remember, Jason was bullied, but the reason he died was because he was drowning and the lifeguards weren't watching him because they were too busy, like, having sex. <laughs> 
Which is, I don't know. Yeah. great. Um, I say sarcastically. It's like, okay, so the two stories I feel like are, like, from the perspectives, the themes are more, Friday the 13th would be more neglect while, uh, Sleepaway Camp is more, like, hyper-awareness. Because, like, the reason that Angela does all that stuff is because she's being bullied and, like, she's the center of the tension all the time even though she doesn't want to be while Jason was you know, never looked after unless he was around his mother. Mm-hmm. So, they're, they're really similar, but also kind of different. So, yeah. But I like, I like the end of Friday the 13th more, and I like the first half of Sleepaway Camp better. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I think that's all for now. Um, what a way to wrap up Pride Month. I know this is kind of a downer, but... But, you know, um... It's still... I still feel like it's an important discussion to have. It's an important discussion, because when you look... I mean, we looked at lists of films, of horror films, that have LGBT either themes or, like, characters, Uh um, you know, so both subtextually and, like, you know, in their text. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are, from a long time ago, are a little bit problematic. Yeah. So it's something that needs to be discussed, because this is, you know, just how it is and what the history is, and I think now, hopefully, we're doing better. I mean, really, I said this to you last night, I'm really surprised there's not more. Because I could only, before this, I could only name off the top of my head, like, just a few films that had actual, like, explicitly LGBT characters. Mm-hmm. But there are, there are, of course, a lot of horror films that have that subtext there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I saw for, like, staple LGBT films was, like, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon and, uh, Yeah. Um, I know Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah, that Fright one. Night. Yeah. Fright Night was very subtextual. Yeah, very subtextual. And, mm-hmm. and, like, I think, yeah, it's interesting because this is a genre that has been so embraced by our community because we can identify with the outsiders and the monsters and the freaks. And Sometimes with the survivors. Yeah, but... and with the survivors, too. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of both. Because, yeah. like, I mean, that's the reason that a lot of women have identified with horror so much as well. Because mm-hmm. of the final girl trope and the idea of being a survivor. Mm-hmm. So, but that being said, like, it's surprising then that, like, even though this genre resonates with so many queer people, it, there like... still haven't been that many explicitly queer horror films. Yeah, Which that is it... kind of disappointing. Yeah, that have, like, actually wanted to deal with, you know, like, the real themes of being LGBT and, and stuff like that, but, like, most of, most of it is, like, vilifying of our community, but somehow we still end up embracing it because that's really all we've got. Mm Mm-hmm. And you get people now kind of turning it on its head. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, Guillermo del Toro turning the whole creature from the Black Lagoon thing on its head and saying, no, this is actually a wonderful thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's an explicitly LGBT thing, but, like, it definitely has its undertones. Yeah. Well, it's more about just, like, outsiders. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess that, to me, is what Shape of Water is. It's, like... Because yeah. the original creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, has been read as just representing the outsider. Like, there's also been a lot of readings of it, like, identify, um, representing non-white people. Yeah, that too. And so, I think, like, Guillermo's point is, like, oh, this is a film that we just want to embrace, like, 
everything, yeah. all of the people who have been othered and yeah. treated like they don't matter and treated like monsters. So I think you're, we're starting to see some of that turned on its head, but I would like to see more. Because, I mean, now, you know, in 2019, like, mm-hmm. I just watched Rocket Man last weekend and it had a gay sex scene, like, right there on you know, the big screen, and and it made a ton of money and did really well critically. So, like, we're getting to a point where, you know, it shouldn't matter. It's not going to scare away your audience. And for horror, certainly not. Because, Mm -hmm. like, horror has always been the genre to kind of push boundaries. Yeah. And of what's acceptable. So, I guess that's why it surprises me, again, like, that we haven't had more of this. But I would like to see it soon. So, here's hoping. I mean, hey, that could be the kind of films we make. Yeah, I mean... I mean, if I were to start making films, most of them would be about either chronic pain, mental illness, or being non-binary and gay. (laughs) Yeah, so, well, I think, like, as, I can't speak for everyone, but for me personally as a queer filmmaker, like, I've found that queer themes creep into my narrative, whether I want them to or not, simply because I am writing from a queer perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, with my Capstone film, it's like, oh, you know, I didn't realize until I got very close, like, until we started filming, basically, yeah. that, like, oh, this is a coming out story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and it just totally, you know, slips by me. And we had, we had me and the actors and a bunch of other people read the script, and... I sat there and I was like, does this alien make you gay? <laughs> because it's it's about, a, like, an alien that lives in your brain and tries to form connections with other people who have aliens in their brains. Um, and the two main characters were, like, these two girls. And so it's like, this is about lesbians. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the main actors for it, too, were like, this is kind of gay. <laughs> Yeah. It was really yeah. funny. Well, even my professor, when I went in for my capstone um, defense, my professor was like, you know, this reads very much as a coming out narrative. And I was like, okay, if Brian caught on to it, yes. Okay, yes. Brian, our professor Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. We love you. I don't know if you're listening to this, but hi. I don't think he listens to podcasts. <laughs> well, he needs to. Brian. He's a very busy man. I know. He has a lot of wonderful things. Doesn't mean he can't do them with headphones in. but you know yeah okay uh so i think that about wraps us up happy pride month um congratulations just to all the l's the g's the b's the t's pans and aces and q's yeah (laughs) just congratulations on like living life surviving and living and thriving and like Mm -hmm. even if you're not thriving if you're you're not happy right mm -hmm. now you will be one day and Mm -hmm. you're gonna make it yeah you're doing it if If, you're closeted we respect and support mm -hmm. you and you're doing the best for you Mm -hmm. and we love you you know if you're closeted or if you're not closeted you know just live your life and everything will be good one day yeah things are getting better every day it's okay to not be out and it's okay to be out and proud yeah and i think you know that's That's the point of Pride Month, is that you are able to, you know, show yourself for who you are, even if, you know, that's only to yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Happy Pride Month. We all love you. Yes. From your NB gay friend me, Marty. Your NB gay friend me, Kai. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find me at FrostyTheR0Bot on Twitter. You can find me at Kai the Jedi. That's K-Y the Jedi. 
Uh, and uh, then this podcast is at uh, Netflix underscore in underscore kill. Um, and then you can also find our uh, host network, uh, Lunar Light Studio, at Lunar Light HQ on Twitter. Yes. Uh, be sure to check out some of the other Lunar Light podcasts while you're there. We have some new ones. Deck of Friendship, where they talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, mock footage, if you're interested in more podcasts relating to film. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if you like the jokey episodes of this show, I think you would really enjoy mock footage. It's great. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, Trans Questioning is another great podcast. If you're interested in talking about... More issues, LGBT yeah, themes. Yeah, more LGBT themes and um, questions and issues that trans people mm-hmm. face in this modern world. It's wonderful. I mm-hmm. listened to... I basically binge listened to it while I was on a plane mm-hmm. to France, and it's wonderful. So, mm-hmm. highly recommend. Um, I also want to add at the very end of this episode that um, if you want to come talk to us about this film and, like, what you think about the representation uh, and the way it's framed, like, go ahead and come talk to us because I, I especially am, like, totally down for having more of a discussion on this considering I am not a trans woman. Um, so I don't have that specific, uh, point of view, but I figured I would try to, to give my point of view as someone who is trans. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I second that. Please come talk to us about it. Because I guess, like, one of the reasons I started this whole podcast is because I just like having conversations about films, and I don't want that conversation to be restrained to just us on this podcast. Yeah. I would like other people to be able to join that, so... You know, give us a shout-out on Twitter, or we have our Lunar Light fan Discord, mm-hmm. um, or shoot us a private message. Y- you know how to get a hold of us, so yeah, mm-hmm. if you have anything to say, please reach out, because again, I'm still trying to sort through how I feel about this film, mm-hmm. and having discussion is always a great way to do that. Yeah, it's, so, def- it's definitely great to have other perspectives on on board with this. Yeah. Because it, it, it always, always having more perspectives gives a better understanding of everything, I think. Yeah. Cool. Alright, that wraps it up. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more Netflixin' and killin'. And maybe not Netflixin', but still killin'. Hell yeah. (laughs) Killin' it every day. Chillin' and killin'. Alright. May your nightmares be plentiful.